welcome to part two of our season finale of Keeper Chat. My name is Fauna. And my name is Flora. And this week we are discussing a, uh, what are we discussing? Not a question? An <laughs> no, I know, I almost said animal. and then I A lot of animals. I literally had a brain fart. We are discussing a question we received from a viewer uh, in relation to zoos in general. So we picked mm-hmm. Z for zoo. Since it's the final letter of the internet, we thought it would be the perfect end of our season one. Yes. So uh, last episode, we talked a lot about the background of zoos, as well as the background of animals in zoos, why zoos have animals living within them. So this week, we're going to go into more of the now, as well as the future of zoos. So that was the past. We're living in the now. Damn. 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 Let's get into it. Uh, first off, a quick refresher on the question. Uh, Rihanna from Minnesota had asked, uh, the abridged version is basically that she gets a lot of feedback from like friends and family members and stuff like that, people she interacts with, that they think that um, you know zoos are sad or animals look sad or it's unethical. Um, she also hears things like, watch Blackfish, it'll change your mind about how you think about zoos. And she's essentially looking for actual factual information to throw in their faces. <laughs> because Zing. you know how it'd be. Uh, no, our amazing Keeper Chat listeners are so wonderful. And anyone listening to this, I mean, probably already thinks zoos are awesome to begin with. But navigating those types of conversations with friends and family can be really, really difficult. So we wanted and to exhausting. provide you... Uh, yes, and exhausting uh, and infuriating. So we wanted to provide you, from Flora and Fauna to all of you, some really good factual information as far as how to go about navigating those tricky, tricky topics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this week we're going to start off with the good that zoos do. Woohoo! Yay! So, uh, Flora, why don't you get us started okay. with some of the most important thing that zoos do. And that is how we inspire our guests Edumacation. and educate them. Edumacation is right. Edumacated, all of us. Okay, so the one thing that I swan to John you cannot deny is that zoos inspire people. True, true. Like, 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 like. There was this one person one time who tried to tell me that she visited zoos as a child and it didn't change her opinion on animals today, blah, blah, blah. Girl, that's some bullshit. You can't argue that. If you went to a zoo as a child and you grew up loving animals, you cannot deny that that had effect on you. Like, I will I will argue till the day I die. Um, even if it's not conscious, that changed you and a part of you and that experience did. Um, you're... Seeing animals face-to-face, you see all those videos all the time of kids, like, up against the glass, and a, an orangutan puts his hand on the glass, and everyone loses their fucking mind. Like, that is so important, and just making people I mean, have a love and respect. <laughs> I was just gonna say, like... What do you mean, Fauna? What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, if this person is bringing up the fact that they went to zoos as a kid, and it didn't have any impact, yeah, it did, because you remember that you went. I no, that's what I was like. Shut it's the fuck obviously up. stood out from your childhood enough, and it was for you to remember that you went to a zoo. I know it was infuriating. So anyway, I think that that is one of the most important things, and um, that is pretty low effort because the animal just has to exist, and the zoo has to exist, and then bam, inspiration done. They're also doing education. We talked a little bit about um, education in the first episode. We talked about 
education programs, how zoos have daycares and zoo camps and all that stuff. But there's also another aspect kind of educating and inspiring people that we didn't really get into, and that's animal programs and shows that zoos do. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of zoos will do keeper chats, where it's just a keeper standing outside in an exhibit, giving you a little bit more background and a little bit more personal background on the animals in the exhibit. Not nearly as good as our show. Oh, my God. And no. Wink. <laughs> oh, wink, wink, wink. Wink, um, wink, wink. Whenever I say keeper chat now, like, at work or, like, to anybody, I'm just like, oh, that's my podcast. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> that's my it secret like a, podcast. Right? I was just going to say, it feels like a dirty little secret. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we're um, disgusting. Anyway. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's a lot of different training programs. Like, I remember visiting my local zoo a thousand years ago when I was – Born as a small, tiny gremlin from the earth. <laughs> just just some one little bean. <laughs> and seeing the elephant demonstrations. And actually, back in the Dizay, they would walk the elephants free protected or free contact around the zoo. And they would go and forage in, like, Damn. this um, flower, like, little garden thing they had. And, like, that was kick-ass. Like, that's the coolest thing yeah. I've ever seen in my whole life. And I still remember that to this day. And that was in a little... Little ACA-accredited zoo in my hometown. I'm not going to fucking tell you where it is. Um, <laughs> but um, most of those training demonstrations, you know, they're showing a bond that the keeper has with the animal, but they're showing the intelligence of those animals and the stimulation physically and mentally that zoos provide. So if you go to, like, a sea lion show or a beluga whale encounter or a tiger training demonstration or an otter training demonstration, you're seeing one on like firsthand how we work with these animals and the mental stimulation that we're giving them. And most of those trainings are just to help us take care of the animals even better. Um, You know, just like you have your dog at home, you know, you're teaching them to sit and you're teaching them to stay and show like shake and roll over or whatever. And most of the time you don't realize it, but Hey, when they get a thorn stuck in their foot, what do you do? You ask them for their paw. Perfect. You've done it. Well, when we're working with animals and they have a scratch on their belly, we can ask them to roll over and then we can see it and examine it. And maybe we're, it's a tiger. We can't go in there and just roll them over. Um, mm-hmm. So you're seeing those ways that we're able to take care of the animals even better by mentally stimulating them. And majority of the time they're doing behaviors they would do in the wild. We're asking a tiger to stand up. They stand up and stretch all the time and try to reach trees and fucking, I don't know what tigers do, run around. <laughs> <laughs> run around trying to reach trees it's wild <laughs> that's the end of my tra- training demonstration thank you guys so much <laughs> thank you guys tigers love trees i'll be back never because i'm gonna get fired <laughs> yeah um and all of that um is done with positive reinforcement operant conditioning so just like you have your dog sit you say good and you give him a treat we have the tiger sh- put its paw on the fence so we can see the pad. We click a clicker or we blow a whistle or we say good and then we give them a treat. We give them a piece of meat. So all of it is positive. We're um, introducing something that they enjoy in order to increase the behavior that we want to see. So nobody's ever um, not providing food, starvation, or adding something negative to get them to do something or taking away something positive to do something. Like, that shit doesn't work. Um, It Nor would we want to do that. Like, we have strong bonds with our animals. The last thing we want to do is see them, like, upset or injured in any way. Yes. And so, like Flora said, positive reinforcement is literally we are reinforcing the good behavior and we are not doing anything for the bad. Yeah. 
if they do the bad behavior, we wait for them to present a good behavior. And animals That's it. super enjoy it. I mean, you mm-hmm. probably are familiar with how happy your dog gets when you praise it. Or if you've ever seen... I just use dogs a lot because people know a lot about dogs. Um, but like the working canines, how excited they get when they're doing their job. Um, animals mm-hmm. love being positively rewarded. You do too. When you get a fucking M&M for like getting the question right at school, like that's dope. Everybody <laughs> loves yeah. M&Ms. Hell yeah. Um, and it's also like a good form of mental stimulation. Like how yes. many of us do crossword puzzles or Sudoku because they're fun. Right. So every day, all of us. you know, they're Have doing all something of us. <laughs> different and those training programs are different and they're, they never know what you're going to ask them to do next and you're teaching them new stuff and you're constantly pushing them to, to learn something new and do something different. And so they're always being stimulated. Um, and a lot of these times, like Fana said, with the trust building, you know, we're, you're seeing kind of like the, the show part of it, right? Like we're asking a tiger to um, give it its, give us his right hip and he gives us his right hip and your guys are like, oh, that's awesome. Hey, behind the scenes, we ask him to give him his right hip and then maybe we give him his insulin injection or something because he's got fucking diabetes or something crazy. <laughs> or he just needs yeah. a vaccination and we give it to him then. Like those things that you see that you think are all fun, they have like implications like real world really like manageable implications that we use for purposes i guess um they aren't just tricks that we're doing just for fucking funsies and shit yeah and the good part is too um well two good things first off these sessions these training sessions and these training interactions would happen regardless of whether or not guests were there oh for sure um they happen behind the scenes like flora said they happen when guests are there, they happen when guests aren't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason that we invite guests to come watch is because it's so freaking cool. It's like, dope. who doesn't want to see how intelligent an orangutan is? Yeah. Who doesn't want to see an owl fly over your head and see, like, how big its wingspan is? Like, right. that stuff is amazing. And that's some of the stuff that's the most inspiring. So we invite people in to see those things because that's what gets them excited. Yeah. And second of all, all of our training interactions and all of our uh, keeper-to-animal interactions are totally voluntary. If an animal decides True. that it doesn't feel like training that day, then it doesn't train that day. No, they and just it walks don't away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're and not going to be a able... tiger and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> exactly. You're not going to be able to force an animal to do something, nor do we want to. We have really strong bonds with these animals and we don't ever want to put them in a situation where they're unhappy. So all of this is purely voluntary. If they decide halfway through that they are done flying around or they're done standing up or they're done doing whatever then they're gonna stop and that's it and that's the end of it and we are trained to be able to deal with that and be like okay so this animal's done clearly we're gonna read their behavior and we're gonna give an explanation to the audience and we'll move on right that's it and they're never getting punished no it's totally voluntary on their part no i would never punish a fucking tiger it would it would punish me <laughs> like what why would we ever do that that's no well, that's asinine <laughs> um but no i think the that like the training encounters and these kind of demonstrations too they're adding to that inspiration like you know people are, are saying oh the tiger's so boring all it does is sleep yeah it's a motherfucking cat that's what they do but if it yeah. gets excited and it wants to like participate in a training session and you're seeing it stand on its hind legs you see how fucking big it is and how smart it is and you open mouth behavior and you see how big its teeth are like that's a whole nother set of connections you just made with that animal it's no longer yep. the super boring tiger that just sleeps in the shade all day because it's a cat and that's what cats do it's this like intelligent creature that you're gonna go home and be like damn, tigers are, like, cool. And then you Google tigers and you realize they're all fucking dying. And then maybe you want to do something about it. 
Yeah, exactly. It's just one more step that zoos are taking and they're always looking to add more of these types of things, like more public interactions yeah. and encounters and things like that. Because, yeah, a lot of times what you're going to see with a content animal living in a zoological population, is it sleeping or is it chilling or it's out of sight because it's hanging out in the shade or in a pool or doing whatever. Like a lot of times an animal that's relaxed isn't the most exciting animal to watch. I mean, if you stared at your cat all day, you'd probably get pretty bored because your cat probably sleeps for most of the day, right? right? Because it's relaxed. Same thing with zoo animals. And so we offer these types of things because we're doing these types of things anyways. And we want to be able to show the public just how cool these animals are, just how amazing they are. And hopefully that will bring you in and that will draw you in to become inspired to want to learn more about them, like Flora said, mm-hmm. or to want to discover more animals at the zoo or to want to do your own research or to to start up your own conservation campaign for this animal. Like the goal here is to get people inspired. And the fact yep. that we can do that with stuff that we do every single day with the animals, great. We're killing two birds with one stone. Yeah. It's awesome. What a um, horrible expression for me to use in talking about <laughs> zoos. Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, okay. I want to be quoted right now and just say that in the future, like, okay, zoos are already doing – you know, YouTube videos and Facebook Lives and all this stuff. There's gonna be a VR like zoo. Oh, totally. Like one of our one of our keeper homies is gonna have to wear some like ridiculous headset that records their day to day. And then so there's gonna be like a you. VR game where you like pick up animal shit and feed penguins and like train a tiger. Yeah, totally. Um, totally appropriate animal interaction. We'll sponsor it. Keeper chat the game. <laughs> the game. <laughs> Dude. Oh my- Nintendo, it's like no. This is your moment. Google Connectimals, but in VR. Hey, Nintendo Switch is always looking for new games. That's not VR. Nintendo, you know what to do. Yeah, but it will be in the future, oh, Dingus. You're right. I was I was stuck in the now. You're so right. We're going from the now into the future, but you're right. We're still in the now, so let's keep on the now. Okay. Uh, uh I'm done talking. No, Flora, I wanted to ask a quick question. God damn it. But but what about those really sad SeaWorld shows where the whales are forced to perform? <sighs> Try to reel in the emotion and let's come from a place of reason. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the same. I mean, watching a tiger get stimulated and trained is the same as watching a whale do it or watching a dolphin do it. Those animals are intelligent. Everybody knows that. Nobody's denying that. And those behaviors that you're seeing them do, breaching out of the water and doing tricks and flips and shit, they do that for fun in the wild. Whenever you're seeing Mm -hmm. dolphins, like, swimming in the wake of boats and they're porpoising and doing all that stuff. So capturing those behaviors and putting them on a cue and making them positive and then doing these training sessions and doing these shows, it's just fun for the animals. And they get rewarded. They get food. I mean – if somebody wanted me to do 10 jumping jacks and I got a fucking Eminem blizzard every time, like, hello, I'm going to be doing jumping jacks all day, every day for the rest of my life because I love Eminem blizzards. I mean, look at it this way. Like, all of us, well, most of us work, right? And we get a paycheck at the end of the day right? or the end of the two weeks or whatever. Yeah. So we go to work and we do that. Granted, not a lot of us like our job, but let's take, for instance <laughs> – zookeepers like a lot of us love our job and it's our passion we go to work every single day and we make peanuts (laughs) like we make nothing nothing and so um the fact that like we are getting enjoyment out of our job is essentially what animals are doing like it's it's a little bit different it's not like their employment by any means and they get to choose not to do it where if i chose not to do it i wouldn't get to gorge on mcdonald's every day (laughs) but 
you know, it's the same kind of principle. Like we do it because we love it and we enjoy doing it. And that's why we keep doing it. And I just don't think it's fair that the argument against it is a double-edged sword. Yeah. So it's, hey, I think it's abuse. You're making them do tricks. Well, they're trained behaviors that are natural that we're giving, rewarding them for and mentally and physically stimulating them. Well, and they're also not made to do anything. It's purely voluntary. Right. <laughs> and then the other side is, oh, they're just sitting in a tank all day and they're so bored and sad. Okay, well, we're trying to stimulate them and then you said that we were, like, fucking abusing them. So, like, what do you want from us? Release them to the wild. Okay. Um, see, there's, remember like, when we the, talked about that it doesn't exist? Remember that, like, Japanese whaling boat that just, like, skins them alive and that fucking shark vessel that cuts their fins off and leaves their half-dead corpse in the water? And then that pollution that you just spilled and the red tide and all that other stuff that just killed everything? Remember when we talked about that? So now what do you want us to do? Like, we can't ever win, so it just is what it yeah. is. Anyway, I'm all worked up. I'm all worked up. I know. I'm so sorry. So why don't we, again, flip the script a little <laughs> bit. Talk a little bit about uh, in-situ versus ex-situ conservation. Okay. So um, in case anyone isn't aware, they're just fancy ways of saying that the conservation is either happening like boots on the ground at the location where the the issue is happening, or it's happening outside of the habitat in which it's happening. So ex situ means that a lot of times those conservation efforts are happening at zoological facilities. They're one of the main um, centers for ex situ conservation because a lot of those places are housing animals that aren't native to that facility. <laughs> like, you know, they're not mm-hmm. naturally found in that facility, but they are doing conservation work on behalf of them. Whereas, for example, if you are doing in situ uh, cheetah conservation, you'd be doing that in Africa where cheetahs are naturally found. That would be an example of in-situ conservation. So, anyways. You just just mixed them up, didn't you? No, no, no. Ex-situ is um, outside of their habitat. In-situ is in their habitat. Does that make sense? Oh. Uh. So, like, ex-situ conservation happens in zoological facilities. That's what zoos do. But I thought it was... In-situ conservation is happening, like, boots on the ground at the source of the issue. Oh. I always just, like, thought of it as, like, in-house, out-of-house. No, no, no. It's the opposite. Yeah. Because it's it's in nature, out of nature. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Um, So I think of it, like, in the situation, out of the situation. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm just a dumbass, so it's fine. Move on. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, it's confusing. Like, I think it's, like, Latin or something, right? I don't know. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Don't ask us. Yeah, zoos um, zoos do a lot of ex situ conservation work because what they're doing a lot of times is helping to create a genetically stable population in zoos for mm-hmm. whatever species they're doing or they're donating funds to conservation organizations or they're donating information for researchers in the wild to use or, mm-hmm. you know, X, Y, and Z. Whatever they're doing is contributing to that animal's conservation, but it's doing it in sort of a secondhand way. It's not necessarily that they're directly hands-on with their conservation in the area, if that makes sense. Unless they send, like, staff. Yeah, exactly. Then that's a perfect example of in-situ conservation. Right. Uh, But the majority of the conservation that zoos do is classified as ex situ, which means that they're essentially sending resources, information, money, whatever it may be, to the areas that need it most. Which is great because they're actually one of the major 
contributors to that type of conservation, which we'll talk about a little bit too. But yeah. it's important to understand that um, that's a huge factor of the reasoning why zoos exist is yes. because that's a huge driving force as well. And again, it ties back to the AZA requirements. AZA requires that there's a conservation aspect to every facility yeah. that they accredit, and, and that's a big part of it. The 200 and 16 million dollars donated yep. to conservation annually by AZA members. Yeah. It blows my mind. Blows my mind too. So kind of going off that as far as um types of good that zoos do, some of the good stuff that they do. We talked a little bit earlier, I think in part 1 about uh rehabilitation efforts. So a lot of zoos participate in in-house rehabilitation efforts, which means that they will uh, have resources and facilities available for use to rehab animals that a lot of times are native to the area um, that need to be taken in for one reason or another for rehabilitation. A lot of facilities do this with birds of prey. That's probably the most common one that I've seen. I don't know about you, Flora. Um, but I know you and I worked very closely with a vet tech that did that all the time, and she was awesome. Yeah, she um, yeah, and a lot of what she did was she would get reports from um, Fish and Wildlife Services or uh, even just roadside reports or a lot of police departments or shelters or, you know, whoever it may be would say that they have an injured bird of some kind. And so she would go assess the situation if the bird was deemed injured enough that it needed medical care. She would bring it back to the rehabilitation center uh, and essentially do exactly that. She would, like, nurse it back to health and teach it again how to hunt for food in the wild. And a lot of times those rehabilitated animals can be released back into their natural wild habitat, which right. is awesome. Well, uh, and there are we some... fed those stupid fucking... <laughs> oh my God, those freaking birds. It killed me. had to stay overnight at the zoo and take turns taking care of three barn owl chicks, Um, which if you have not seen or heard, just picture... A naked cotton ball screaming satanic noises into your face and also stinking like like shit. (laughs) It's like a naked cotton ball with a beak and like a void. Yeah. (laughs) That was it. And just like, just was craving flesh. Yeah. I loved it. You nailed it. It was (laughs) everything I ever dreamed of. Time of my life. Love birds. Yeah. So rehabilitation happens a lot at the zoo. And a lot of that um, actually doesn't get marketed that much. A lot of zoos do it. They do it on the DL, and they don't man. Really, exactly. They don't really promote it because they're trying to promote a wider conservation message. And a lot of times that just kind of gets swept under the rug in favor of, you know, things of greater importance. But it's a lot of things that a lot of zoos still do, which is so cool. Um, there are some situations where animals brought in for re- rehabilitation are then concluded to be in a non-releasable situation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that comes down to, A, what the species is. If it's a non-native species, it would be irresponsible for us to release that animal back into its non-native habitat because it could become a huge issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, But second, a lot of it comes down to, again, I'm thinking of um, birds as the first and foremost example. A lot of them, if they're too injured to survive properly in the wild, in their wild habitat, they they will remain in zoos in order to be cared for there. Right. Um, and that's just responsible ownership, you know, like animal stewardship. Like right. we're never, if you saw a dog hobbling down the hallway or the hallway, <laughs> oh my God, down the highway and it only had like two legs, you wouldn't just like <laughs> stick a peg leg on the other two and be like, okay, you're good to go. Bye. Like, no, you'd be like, 
this dog ain't gonna do well out there this dog won't hunt exactly like zoos have animal welfare in mind first and foremost always and so they're always going to make the best choice based on that but it they provide a home for a lot of animals that need a home but don't necessarily have one Mm -hmm. and a lot of that again happens on the dl so shout out to them on that fuck yeah so the main show the one of the best things that zoos do conservation right yeah zoos are amazing at conservation especially in this day and age so part of the question askers question came down to um having specific detailed examples that they can right. use to talk about when having conversations with and zoo naysayers boy do we got them boy do we got them um first off let me say so we have gone through a number of conservation success stories in our podcast so far yeah we've gone through several of them and we're going to go through some more but let me first say that it's a very easy preliminary google search to find a lot of these and there are a ton there are a ton of conservation successes especially those connected to zoological efforts so please by all means like do your research come up with a freaking list encyclopedia of it hand it out to people you know whatever like that's awesome but just know there are literally tons and tons of examples but The ones that I went with are probably the most famous ones, and they're ones that we've actually touched on before. So specifically speaking, the Chevalsky horse, which was in our H episode, the California condor, which was in our V episode, and I also brought up three other examples that you can use too. So you can hit people with five zoo conservation success stories. We have the Chevalsky horse, California condor, black-footed ferret, Wyoming toad, I love, I love him. <laughs> and the golden lion tamarin. So. Okay. And I just want to say. Yeah. That five is a lot. Five is a lot. If we saved one goddamn animal, that would make it worth it. Totally. And yeah, there's. Absolutely. Tons. So if someone's like, well, is that all or whatever, just slap them across the fucking face. <laughs> yeah. And, and then move on because they're not worth arguing with because they're stupid. And I want to preface this by saying that all of these were done because a concerned group of individuals came together and decided that this animal was worth saving and that their lives had inherent value. Yeah. And I would I just want to contrast that with the idea that sitting at home and doing nothing is somehow a better way to help them. Sitting at home complaining about people that are doing good. Exactly. So just think about that in the context of the following stories. So since we've already discussed the Chevalsky horse and the California condor in our H&B episodes, I would recommend re-watching those, uh, or excuse me, re-listening to those to get kind of the full scope. But essentially what was done was a huge partnership with uh, the local fishing game services and zoological institutions and a lot of those animals were brought into zoos in order to be bred in those facilities and then re-released into their natural habitat with huge success Mm -hmm. so uh we're gonna go into more detail on the other three so the black-footed ferret in particular essentially had the same story and a lot of these guys do um black-footed ferrets are north america's only native ferret species uh they're in the family must Mustelidae? There we go. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, So they're carnivores. They eat meat. Uh, They used to range all across the Western Plains. And actually, they were thought to be extinct until a very small population was discovered back in 1981. So that's pretty recently, right? That's within our lifetimes. So um, 
zoological population or excuse me zoological facilities uh worked really really hard with local governments and local uh fishing game services when this discovery was made to bring black-footed ferrets into their institutions yeah. and through breeding programs and reintroduction programs they were actually able to make an incredible recovery and now they are i wouldn't say thriving but they are not extinct in the wild there we go um and their numbers are actually on the rise. And a lot of that has to do not only with the breeding and reintroduction, but the follow-up conservation successes as well, like tracking surveys, mm. um, continued research, uh, monitoring of populations, all that kind of stuff. So that's amazing. And that's the black-footed ferret. And they're um, cute. And they're really, really cute. They're like yeah. little bandits. Yeah. They're super, super cool. So the next one I want to get to is the Wyoming toad. <laughs> this guy is amazing. Um literally he looks like a fart i love him so much does he live in wyoming he's... yes <gasps> he is a fart he is a fart he's just a big blobby poop where's and head him. and where's body because it's same <laughs> no he's all the same and he's got like toes connected to his his head torso Jesus. his torso <laughs> he's a beefy little guy he's a beefy little poop so uh <laughs> We- what happened here with the Wyoming toad? It was initially discovered in 1948 by a University of Wyoming professor. Mm. And its uh, natural range is typically in flooded plains. This guy is an amphibian, like all toads are. So they prefer a semi-aquatic environment. And uh, his specific range is in um, Wyoming, like the name implies the Wyoming toad. So uh, what was found was that the Wyoming toads were in decline. And while this used to be one of the most plentiful vertebrate species in this specific river basin in Wyoming, Hmm. uh, not so much anymore. So in the 1970s, it was observed that a rapid decline had happened in the toad population. And while the exact cause was unknown, there were some guesses that it could have anything to do with the use of petricides, uh, pesticides, excuse me. Uh, I was reading two <laughs> words at once. Petrify him. <laughs> Petrifies. Uh, pesticides, the presence of different types of fungi, as well as diseases and habitat alteration. Wow. So in 1984, this species was listed federally as an endangered species. And so a lot of work was done from then on out. In September 1987, the first Wyoming Toad Recovery Group, which is so cute, I, I want to be that, a part of that. So was bad. established in 1993. It's estimated that the ten or the last ten living toads of this entire species were captured in a specific lake in this region and brought into uh, captivity to start a breeding program. So uh, at this point, the Wyoming Toad was declared extinct in the wild and in fact it still is considered extinct in the wild the only known populations are in human care and the uh first successful reproduction of this toad occurred in 1994 after they were brought in into human population at the uh at a research and conservation center in wyoming in conjunction with animal care professionals from zoological institutions nice uh not only that but a lot of the local land order Owners um, made sure to provide safe sites for the reintroduction of these toads. And in fact, in 1995, more than 100,000 tadpoles and toadlets were reintroduced. Wow. Yes. So, um, it's really, 
I know, isn't it so cute? And again, with continued conservation, which is always key to this sort of thing and follow-ups, that there are continual surveys done annually that monitor population numbers, and they're keeping an eye on the success of that. So um, this SSP in particular, which again is in association with the American Zoo and Aquarium Association, AZA, it was formed in 1996. And in fact, only seven AZA accredited zoos and two fish and wildlife facilities have participated in this particular Wyoming Toad SSP program. So it's very, very exclusive. Mm. And it was a perfect example of a great partnership with zoos and um, wildlife facilities. And in fact, like volunteers from zoos all over travel here to assist in the surveys of these toads. So that's awesome. Um, that was a Wyoming toad. They're amazing. I found a picture of one wearing a tracking collar and it's like a tiny thing because he's a tiny thing. And he just has this rockin' necklace on and I love him. I love him. He's got a choker. <laughs> <laughs> How fetch. A choker slash a belt because he's all just one blob. Pretty fucking much. So the last one that I wanted to go into detail here in this episode is about the golden line tamarin and i'm gonna abbreviate it by calling them the glt love that so the glts are native to an area in south america um specifically in brazil known as the atlantic coastal forest Uh, unfortunately only around two percent of their original habitat remains yes so a lot of that was destroyed through habitat loss and a lot of the threats on top of that the golden lion tamarins are facing are through the pet trade because these guys Yikes. are little tiny monkeys and they're really, really cute. They're like orange little monkeys with long tails, but they stink and they got weird feet. So like don't own one. Um, <laughs> do but stink. anyways, uh, so this has had huge detrimental effects on golden lion tamarind populations. And in fact, there's an estimated um, in the 1970s, there was an estimated 200 GLTs living left. That was it. How many? Uh, 200. Oh, my God. Yeah. So at this time, people rightfully so freaked out and decided to develop a conservation program to include habitat protection and restoration, as well as translocation of wild GLTs to safe forest habitats. Uh, they've also made sure to install a cooperative breeding program with zoos, as well as a plan for reintroduction of zoo-born GLTs and education outreach programs, because as we've all found out, all of those things are crucial to continued success in the future. Yeah. So uh, in particular, I want to give a shout out to Zoo Atlanta. They partnered oh. with the G- Yeah, they partnered with the Golden Lion Tamarind Association. Atlanta. Yeah, they partnered with the Golden Lion Tamarind Association, which is a non-governmental organization in Brazil, which works to conserve the tamarinds and their habitat in perpetuity. So through their combined conservation efforts, they have helped increase the number of golden lion tamarins in the wild to 3,000 or more. Cool. Yeah, this is amazing work. Or excuse me. Yeah, it's amazing work, but it's still, there's a long way to go. It's like ongoing, yeah. Exactly. And unfortunately, due to habitat loss through humans, their habitat still remains fragmented and degraded. And so a lot of that continued work is on monitoring those reintroduced populations as well as making sure they have a safe habitat to continue living in and, like, continue thriving in. Yeah. Um, Not only that, but the continued education with local populations as well as global populations allows us all to understand how we can help preserve them in the future. So it's super, super important, and it's they've done amazing work with them. So yet another success story with zoos. And let me just say, this is only – I went into detail about three of them. I talked about five of them, but literally, guys, there are like countless more. Just 
just do a quick Google search and you'll be able to find tons of information. It's like, literally all we do. Zoos, yeah, I, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a conservation story that doesn't involve zoos in one way or the other, whether that be information um, availability, whether that be the allocation of resources or money or, you know, helping spread the word or helping with breeding programs or whatever it is. Zoos are a huge, huge part of that. So that kind of leads me into my next point, talking about not only how they contribute to conservation, but how they contribute to research as well. Uh, And the research has a lot of implications as well. Not only can researchers uh, actually in zoological institutions use this information, but researchers in the wild are able to use information that they glean from zoo animals as well. Not only that, but they're able to use uh, advances that they learn in husbandry to uh, amplify their techniques and to make them the best that they possibly can be. And a lot of this, I think probably the best example I can think of is SeaWorld, right? SeaWorld does tons and tons of worldwide research and their advances in husbandry techniques are like amazing. And they're, yeah, yeah, they're a class of their own. And so things that uh, employees and scientists and researchers and animal care professionals and everyone are learning at SeaWorld through their experiences there are able to be translated to wild populations and to help out those wild animals in their habitat Mm -hmm. it's amazing literally go to their website they have amazing information about it uh as far as more good stuff that zoos do they're actually one of the only popular attractions that people regularly go to that include an educational opponent component so think about that you know like when was the last time you Went out for a day of fun and maybe you went to a football game. I'm sure it was awesome. But, like, did you really learn anything? Right. <laughs> Helped you live a better life? Yeah. that with the world around you? Not so much. Uh, you know, maybe you went to a concert and that was awesome. But, like, did you learn how to recycle at that concert? <laughs> or take care of our you earth? You did? Probably That's not. That's a fucking cool concert. Damn. That's a cool-ass concert. Why didn't you, you tell us about that? to a zoo in secret. <laughs> <laughs> that concert was at the zoo. Oh, that don't count. Oh, man. Hell. Uh, And in fact, zoos and aquariums, I think Flora mentioned this in the first episode, but they are the third leading conservation organization in the world. Booyah. And um, in the last year, over $300 million was donated directly from zoos. Booyah. uh, With AZA making up over $216 million uh, of that $300 million. Booyah. That's incredible. Um, Not only that, but zoos are also working to make sure that they are allocating the funds that they bring in from guests that are coming to the zoo in a responsible way. So if you think about a way that the zoo runs, which again, we kind of covered in part one, uh, most zoos are nonprofit. That's not to say that all of them are, um, but a lot of them are nonprofit because they're essentially a type of charity, right? Mm -hmm. They're they're championing for these things right and it takes a lot of money to do so and so if you have animals that are living in zoos they have a high cost of living higher than any other city i would say animals have the highest cost of living and they require a lot of resources especially if you are devoted to taking the best care that you possibly can of them that takes money it just does and if you want to do it right then you're going to have to shell out some big bucks to do so um and that's not just just paying staff to take care of them. That's paying for medical equipment and, and, and you know, medicine and attention. That's paying for uh, the facilities that they live in to make sure that they're the highest grade facilities. That's paying for toys for them to play with and aren't going to break or injure them in any way. That's, yeah. that's paying for 
the food that they eat. That's that's paying for a lot of stuff, um, and it's not cheap at all. So if you're ever wondering why the admission ticket for your zoo is so high, that's why. It's not because people are trying to swindle you or trying to make money off of you. <laughs> Remember, zookeepers don't make that much money. No. The majority of the money that zoos are bringing in is going to their animals and it's going to their education and conservation components. And they're making those the best that they possibly can be because those are the most important aspects and any zookeeper will agree with you there. They would much rather the animals be in the best, cushiest situation than a zookeeper making a little bit more money. You know? Like, I know we all want to make more money, but... I fucking... I need more money. <laughs> I know. But we all want our animals to... We we all put our animals first. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, you have, to, you have to understand that, yes, at the end of the day, the people that work at the zoo need to get paid, too. And that's... Part of their money comes from your admission ticket. That's just it. And that's the way it's going to be. Um... But you also have to realize that they're serving a really important purpose by being there. If any member of the zoo team isn't there, the entire zoo suffers. And that's not just to say if the animal care staff isn't there, then yes, obviously the animals are missing their keepers. They're wondering right. what's going on. Yeah. But if your admissions uh, attendants aren't there, people aren't able to come into the zoo. If your gift shop workers aren't there, people aren't able to be greeted or be like exit greeted at the zoo and get a a conclusion and a summary about their day or to find like a cool souvenir to take home and show their friends and family or find a cool book to read in their spare time if the um you know if the concession workers aren't there they're not able to give you water so you don't pass out in the heat you know like there's every role in a zoo is vital and it's important and those people need to be paid to be there right that's just part of it um can't avoid then, that exactly so the money that comes into the zoo is allocated because it is a business, but it's in the business of helping animals. So please try to understand that when you're complaining about the admission ticket. I know it's expensive for a lot of places. I understand that. But no, the majority of it is going to conservation and education and animal care. And the rest is going to make sure that the people working there can continue working there. It's important. It's important. Uh, and then I guess the last thing I want to talk about as far as like the good that zoos do is talking, like giving a little bit of perspective on how the day runs in the eyes of an animal. Ooh, yeah. So an animal that lives in the zoo, uh, their day is going to be the same regardless of whether or not the zoo is open, whether or not the zoo is closed, whether or not guests are there or not there, whether or not their keepers are short-staffed or staff members are out sick, whether or not their vet is on holiday, whether or not the food shipment didn't come in on time or wasn't enough whether or not any of this. It doesn't matter. The animal's day is going to be the same. It means that they will receive the same excellent care every single day, regardless of the forces outside of that. So we've talked about this in past episodes before, but the only job that a zoo animal has to do is just to be, is just yep. to live its life. That's it. We literally do everything else for them. And so if something comes up, a difficulty or a complication or whatever that's our problem to deal with that's not theirs mm -hmm. and we deal with it because it's our job that's that's our job yeah that's what we're here to do and so like we talked about earlier keeper talks and scheduled public feedings and presentations and shows and etc cetera, etc cetera, are for the viewing the viewing benefit of the public um they are happening on the animal side of things behind the scenes in front of guests, whatever, mm -hmm. 
regardless of whether or not people are there. Right. They're happening even if there's not a crowd. So the reason that we bring them about, again, is because we want to let you guys in on it. We want to show you guys the amazing stuff that are that's happening. And a lot of times we'll attach a talk or some sort of um, presenter to whatever we're doing so that we can interpret what's going on. Because, yeah, it's cool to see a tiger open their mouth and stuff. But obviously, if you see that, you're going to have questions, right? You're going to want to learn more. So that's why we have people present to be able to teach you more. Right. So the idea of opening these sorts of things for the public is to, first off, give transparency to show you the types of ways that we form relationships with our animals uh, but more importantly, why it's important and why that we do or why we do it. But second, we're essentially trying our best and we're like trying so hard every single day to find opportunities to inspire people. Like we're trying to find whatever that thing may be that gets people excited. Because when you walk into a zoo, you're expecting to see animals, right? But we want you to see animals and we want you to learn something and we want you to leave feeling inspired to make change. So how are we going to do that? Like it's a hard it's a hard task to do. It's a big task to do. How right. do you how do you set people up to want to learn? You have to get them excited. So if the the best and most efficient way that we can do that is let you guys in and see let you see exactly what we do and show you how amazing the animals are and that primes you to get ready to learn all the cool stuff that we have to tell you. Great. We'll do that every single day. Yep. No problem. If that's what it takes, great. If it takes 10 shows a day, great. You know, we're going to do what's best for the animals first and foremost, but we also want to make sure that our guests coming in are having the best time that they possibly can so that they're primed and ready to go for the information that we have to say. Yeah. So it's just important to understand that even if the weather's bad, even if it's Christmas Day, even if there's a hurricane, you know, even if there's a power outage, whatever, (laughs) the animals are still going to have the exact same day. Yeah. They're Even gonna, if there's their a power are... outage and you have to lock your boss inside of a wall <laughs> oh and drill God. him inside of a wall that's full of cobwebs so that you can shift the chimpanzees into the same room that he is in the wall. Even if all of that happens, the animals didn't know any different, but I did because I locked my boss in a wall. And by locked, I mean I drilled him in. I screwed the wall back. He was trapped in the wall. I could have walked away and I didn't. I let him back out, and it was an experience, <laughs> and it was traumatic. I took, a, <laughs> I took a drink of water, and I almost drowned. <laughs> you were, like, yeah, so- sick that day, and I came home, and I said, Fauna, <laughs> I just locked our boss in a wall and let a chimpanzee into the room with that wall. And I thought I was having a fever dream. <laughs> I thought I had a fever dream. <laughs> And then when he came out of the wall, it was like, there's a cobweb in your hair. And he's like, that is of my least concern. Let us go home. (laughs) It's like, we need to go. Valid, valid, valid. Yeah. So just understand that that stuff is the same regardless whether or not you're there to see it. Um, So the good that zoos are doing behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, in between the scenes, whatever it may be, is happening regardless of whether or not you're there to see it. So just, just give us a little slack here, please, God. Please, God. Please, God. Okay, Flora, this is it. I want to talk a little bit how – we talked how good zoos are, but how do we recognize what a bad zoo is? Give it to me straight. Okay, well, I can't sit here and list out all the good ones and bad ones because there's fucking thousands of zoos. So Mm I'm just going to give you some tips on how you can do it yourself and some critical thinking skills that I will Mm -hmm. impart to you. 
Number one, do your fucking research. <laughs> don't just show. Yeah. Don't just like see a fucking sign on the side of the road. This is animals, and like pull in and give them all your money. Like do your <laughs> do your research. Google. Look at Yelp and TripAdvisor and Facebook, and I don't even know what else other things. Just Google it and see what's there. Um, there's a couple of things that make zoos not great, and it's whether or not they have a really inhumane animal to animal interaction. Um, two animals that don't belong together interacting with each other for no fucking mm-hmm. reason other than to make money. Or inhumane animal-human interaction. They're letting you pet baby tigers and baby bears and just picking up babies and sticking your fingers in their mouths and stuff. Um, <laughs> so that's just one thing to keep in mind. Um, are the people profiting off of this? So are they a nonprofit or are they on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere and they constantly have baby bear cubs for you to hold and think about humans. When you have a baby, that fucking mom goes ballistic and you have to wash your hands 25 times and you all have to get vaccinated and you can't touch that baby and kiss that baby until you're all clean. So what good is it? If a bunch of strangers are touching a baby bear cub 25 times a day for 25 bucks a pop. I mean, something's mm-hmm. not right there. That's not right. You wouldn't chill out your own kid or whatever. That's fucking weird. So that's not right. It's fun. And that is doesn't make it right <laughs> just because it's fun. Drugs yeah, are fun. Exactly. <laughs> cocaine. All right. We really went on a tangent. <laughs> I'm sure cocaine is fun as fuck. Holding a baby bear, it probably is cool, but that doesn't make it right. Um, and then yeah, try not to be greedy. Yeah, holding a tiger yeah. cat is probably going to be amazing and unforgettable, but you also know in your heart of hearts that it's wrong, right? And just think about: is it necessary? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're talking about training and enrichment and all this stuff in the zoos that people are doing, the keepers are doing to stimulate mentally and physically these animals. Is you sitting in a chair holding a baby bear necessary? What good is that doing for the baby bear? Mm-hmm. Like you're handling it so it could just be handled its whole life? I mean, what is, what's happening? If there's seven tiger cubs and 30 lions and a goat in a room, they're all playing together. It's cute, but what purpose is that serving? Is it just to make money? Yeah. Is it just to be viral on the internet? Yeah. Is it good for those animals? Probably not. Um, and mm-hmm. those are warning signs, too, for even scarier things. So think, man, that zoo down the road always has that baby bear thing where you can hold that baby bear. But they only have, like, three bears. Where the fuck mm-hmm. do those bears go? Are they selling them on Craigslist? Because, hi, I've seen a lion for sale on Craigslist in shithole Indiana. Thanks, Indiana, you suck. Um... Are they just killing them? Like, how do they constantly have baby bears? Just think about the whole situation and just critically think about stuff. And don't just take their word for it. Don't take my word for it. Just look mm-hmm. it up. Don't, like, go in and be like, hey, you, why do you have that? Why, like, why are we holding this bear? Oh, well, you know, it needs to be held so that we can hold it later. You uh, convince me. <laughs> like, sold, here's my 20 bucks. No, don't take their fucking word for it. That's their job. They're salesmen. They're, they want your money. Um, so, you know, those accreditations that we talked about, AZA, ZAA, those are going to be really quick references to be like, boom, yes, I know this is good. And there's there are encounters where you can meet and feed an animal, and they're awesome. You can meet a penguin, feed a penguin. You can meet a beluga whale. 
feed a beluga whale. But all of those things are structured where they're adults and they're trained for these behaviors. And you go through an entire safety protocol and you're not just in some guy's backyard in Indiana with a fucking bear cub. Like, just think about it for like half a second. Quit posting it on the internet. If I see that stupid wildlife in need place in Indiana one more time, I'm putting them on blast. Y'all suck. That guy beat a jaguar or like a, what was it? A black leopard to death with a baseball bat. What? People still go there and post pictures of them holding babies. There's a video of him beating an animal to death. And people are still like, take my money. I want to hold a baby. That's fucked yeah. up. What's wrong with you? Yeah, it's some really people, greedy. They go home and they're like, zoos are wrong. This hillbilly in Indiana let me hold a bear cub in his backyard. But fuck <laughs> the Cincinnati Zoo because it costs more money and I don't get to play with the bear cubs. Like, I can't. I can't. Um, do your fucking research. Quit sharing viral videos of animals bottle feeding other animals. What the fuck? That's so fucked up. I just yeah. And if you have concerns, like seek out people who are actually professionals in that field and get their advice on the situation. Yeah. Don't just take someone's word for it. And Don't take our word for it. No. Like we are professionals in the field, but get a second opinion. Yeah, I won't be offended. No, dude, and we do it all the time. Why we on a a zookeeper group and people are like hey going to fucking india or like hey going to bali what about this elephant encounter what about this what about this you know we're asking each other because it's hard to find that information and there are elephant rescues where you can go and you can hang out with elephants and that's dope and then there's shitty places where they're like chaining them to the wall and you can ride them and they hit them with the fucking thing in the butt i don't know but there's good (laughs) places right in the butt (laughs) i don't know do your research we can't do it for you, but use your brain and just, things are fun. That doesn't make it right. Things are cute. It doesn't make it right. What does that yeah. photo give you? What is that photo worth to you? Is it worth animal abuse? Is it worth giving someone who kills and beats and treats animals like shit money? What is it worth to you? If it is, then fucking go for it. Like, you're in good company because he's a piece of shit just like you. But if it's not, then take a step back and fucking donate to tiger conservation instead. And then they'll send you a picture of a tiger you saved. That's way doper to me. So yeah, same. just think about it. And if you've done it before and you didn't know, that's fine. We can't. And I'm a past life, I was a felon. We can't all... <laughs> yeah, and back in 1912, Flora was a felon. We all learned. <laughs> you learned from your mistakes, and that's totally fine. I legitimately have a photo of me at a Bass Pro Shop petting a baby tiger named Avalanche when I was like 12 years old. It cost $10. I yeah. will never do it again, and that sucks, but I don't know. I couldn't. What if I can't? I can't change it. <laughs> it just is what it is. But I would never do it again. Yeah. And that place in Indiana sucks. They put monkeys in pajamas. Monkeys don't need to wear fucking pajamas. You're so right. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're right. Like, it's it's t- it's shitty, though. Like, it's shitty because they're, like, yes, you can say to someone who's, like, coming from a place of, like, fact and reason, yeah, a monkey doesn't need to wear pajamas. Or you don't need to have a thousand bear cubs and be holding them all the time. That doesn't make any sense. But at the same time, like, we all know, People crave those interactions, and so they are willing to overlook a lot to get them. But it's important to swallow that pill, essentially. Like, you have to realize that those sorts of things are creating a market for animal abuse, neglect, and trade. And those are one of the biggest threats that a lot of animals face. 
Yeah. So just don't do it. And you have to think of your personal preferences, too. You know, Fauna and I have our own personal preferences. I'm not going to get into it, but just on... Should you should zookeepers work free contact with dangerous animals like tigers? Should you mm-hmm. swim with tigers? Should you not swim with tigers? Is it bad? Is it wrong? Does it make you a bad keeper? Blah blah blah. There are places that <coughs> sorry. There are places that are awesome and do awesome things and they work with animals differently. And so it's just your like I can't sit down and write a not like a fucking list and just like say this place is bad, this place is bad, this place is bad. It's your Opinion. They could treat the animals amazingly, but they might do something else weird or do something that you don't agree with or we don't agree with or whatever. I can't tell you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Just because they don't kill an animal, maybe they're not that great, or maybe they're awesome, and in ten years they'll be how we all do it, or whatever. I don't know, but. That's what I'm saying. Like, you can't just Google a list of, like, good and bad and find it. People are going to have mm-hmm. different opinions and stuff. Some of their opinions are fucking wrong because you shouldn't hold a goddamn baby bear cub in that guy's backyard in Indiana. But some of them are just opinions, and it is what it is. So it's hard, and I'm sorry, and that's what makes this so hard when you're defending zoos because people are like, well, I went to that fucking place in Indiana, and he's got a baby bear cub graveyard in the backyard. And you're like, yeah, but I'm not defending that. But it's a zoo. Right. Well... I, that's another can of worms that you gotta get into. Oh my god, yeah, and, and just because it's called a fucking sanctuary doesn't mean it's a fucking sanctuary. That's a word. That's true. That's I mean, we're, yeah, we're gonna get into, like, how important it is to understand the, the difference between words and the power that words have. Um, but kind of rolling off what you said, a lot of times one of the quickest and easiest ways to determine whether what you're looking at is a is a good or bad place is to look at the context like a lot of places that are good are aiming for transparency and they're aiming to make sure that the public fully understands what they're doing so a lot of good facilities are going to do their best to fill you guys in on everything that they possibly can because they want to prove to you and they want to show you that they're a place worth trusting and they're a place worth spending your time and money um and a lot of places that are not so great are going to try to sell you on some like weird bullshit ideas or they're going to try to cover up things and be really shady about shit because they're just looking for your money. And they just put um, monkeys in pajamas because they're fucking nutso. Exactly. Like if you see something, if you see something and it kind of raises some alarm bells, like seek out information about it. If you are at a zoo and you see something that you're not sure about, speak up, talk to someone by all means. Yeah. Like, we're, ha- we're more than happy to talk to people who may be concerned about a situation and explain what's going on. Because if you come to them with a real concern, we like the best thing that we want to do is help to be able – give you the opportunity to be able to understand the context of that. Like absolutely, 100%. And if you go to a place that's shitty and you've already given your, your money, don't freak out. Just go home and tell everyone how shitty it was right on the internet, how shitty they are. Like tell everybody. So that the word gets out, so that we can help each other in finding the good places. Um, mm-hmm. People on the internet, every time I see that goddamn place in Indiana, I comment and I say, you suck for going there. I fucking hate you. Not really, but I say it in a nicer way. Don't ever go there again. What the fuck is wrong with you? Look at this video of this man beating a jaguar to death. Um, yeah, and then they like take down their photos and don't ever talk to me again. But 
It is maybe what it they is. left that. Yeah, maybe they left <laughs> that interaction with a better understanding of what's going on. Right. You know. And again, it comes down to the fact that like you are presenting irrefutable facts, and a lot of times, a lot of you know, a lot of what the person you're talking to is presenting is emotion and that's hard because they're not equitable we're back to apples and oranges and it's hard to compare the two and it's hard to like and find i'm common ground allergic between the two. to citrus and i'm allergic to citrus you're gonna kill me <laughs> so kind of leading off of that um as far as how to find good and bad zoos is how to find factual information what are some good resources first off and i know this is gonna sound boring and we're all gonna roll our eyes but scientific papers peer-reviewed papers my eyes that's are the best rolled into the back of my skull as far as I can. my go. eyes rolled 360 <laughs> degrees and we're facing forward again <laughs> nightmare <laughs> it was a nightmare to see um but seriously guys like that's that's probably the best resource you can look for yeah if yeah. you don't want to read a scientific paper which i don't blame you they're sometimes very very wordy um look for things look for articles that have their own sources look for places that are that are actually using credible sources as their sources wikipedia That's motherfucking really man they cite their sources <laughs> yeah man if you use wikipedia and you're like looking to use that as a source of information go for it just make sure that they're actually using credible sources yeah dude and that comes down, down to the bottom to- and it's got all those little links click 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 exactly that that comes down to making sure that they are peer peer-reviewed scientific sources especially when you're dealing with something that is a science and is based in fact try to find factual sources yeah and a lot of times if you can follow a trail back to a scientific paper you are on the right track let me tell you right and so yeah that's always something good to look for if you can cross-reference things and you see the same information in several locations and a lot of it leads back to sources that you know are credible or you know are good resources great but this all comes down to the idea that you should be doing your own research. You are in charge of making sure that you have the best understanding that you can possibly have. So we live in such a digital age. We live in an age where we're all connected. Like, false information is out there, 100%. I'm not denying that at all. And I'm not trying to deny the fact that it, it exists and it's easy to fall into that trap and whatever. But it is our responsibility to seek out the truth and... Especially when facts are involved. Yeah. Yes, come on. You can't claim a fact ignorance is either... forever. Like, that's not fair. Exactly. A fact is either there or it isn't. And most of the time, they're there. And so all you have to do is look for them. <laughs> that makes sense? It does. Wonderful. So going off of that, how do you actually digest this information that you found out, right? You found a good resource or whatever, and you're looking it up, and how to make sense of it. Well, if it's really, really wordy and scientific, find someone who's good at doing that or find another resource that is use that as a source and see if they consolidated it or condensed it or i'm gonna give you a little hint here guys a lot of zoo websites are excellent for this mm-hmm. because they are made to translate wordy boring scientific information into exciting fun easy to digest information that all of us can enjoy even us dum-dums like flora and fauna <laughs> so like I go there for fact checks all the time. I go to zoo websites all the time. I work at a zoo and I go to my own website. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is that thing? I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I remember recently I was doing a keeper talk on an animal I haven't done in ages. And I was like, uh, I don't remember. And so I freaking looked it up on my zoo website because they're totally right. Uh, so that's a great, that's a great resource. But also, uh, not only when it comes to articles or, or written things, like when you are looking at photos, Make sure that you're looking at the proper context as well. I think Flora touched on that earlier. It's easy enough to look and see 
you know, a bear sitting on concrete looking up at sun or whatever. I think that's like a viral one that's been going around and be like, oh, this bear is so sad. He lives in a terrible prison or whatever. And then you zoom out and the habitat is massive. There's tons of grass. There's a pool. There's like a rock wall. There's like freaking tons of tires and like treats. And there's like a salmon sitting next to him. And he's just like looking at this wall because there's like a bird at the top of it like come on you guys the other side of that it's on reddit all the time and i always flag it because it's on nature is metal and you're only allowed to post pictures of nature it's like these pictures of all these like siberian tigers in the snow and there's like 10 of them and they're fucking massive and they're on like a fucking like hunting farm like where they just breed them to make them all fat so people can come and hunt them and so everyone's like, look at these beautiful tigers in the wild. There's like 10 of them. And they're like morbidly obese. And I'm always like, not nature. Go fuck yourself. Stop sharing mm. math. Tigers are solitary. Um, but yeah, I mean, understand the context of those situations. A picture says a thousand words, but like, are those words correct? <laughs> yes no. or no? You know, like look into it. Actually look into it. If you have misgivings about a picture, try to find the source. We live in an age of photoshop and like digital lies (laughs) like just do your research is the main point of this um and kind of going off of that you know it's important that when you are looking for factual information you are looking for contextual pictures um to understand that anthropomorphism again has a huge role in this uh people take a picture and it's broadcasting you know if the caption says sad orangutan is missing its wild bornean home or whatever you're gonna look at that picture of an orangutan and be like oh it does look sad and then that's gonna shape the way that you view whatever you're looking at and and it's gonna shape the experience that you have i post a picture of a deforested area because of palm oil people and then i post a picture of chocolate and then make you feel bad because you killed that orangutan (laughs) yeah i mean like the words that we use have are very, very powerful. And that's why Flora and I keep harping on everyone to be careful about the way that you talk about things. Like we're not trying to make blanket statements and we're not trying to say all's users are great, all's users are bad, these users are good, these users are bad, whatever. Um, but it is important to understand that the things that you say, especially in this conversation, have meaning and they have a lot of important meaning, especially because let's face it, the majority of us love animals and we care about them and we want the best for them. Unless we're sociopaths, you know, that's what we are looking for. Yeah, that is, um, what it is. <laughs> But, But at the same time, you know, all of these things are shaping our experiences and they're shaping our conversations in either a very positive or very negative way. And unfortunately, they're leading to a lot of disputes between us. And so while the real issue is, for example, with the Golden Lion Tamarind, that their habitat is being destroyed and they're being sold on the pet trade, you know, people might be arguing that, oh, no, they look so cute, though. But, like, when they make a good pet, and it's like, no, you are actually feeding into the pet trade there. Like, we're spending so much time bickering about the wordage that's used that we have lost sight of the actual problem. Yeah. And in the meantime, those animals are dying and they're dead and now they're extinct. And whoops, we missed it. Yuck. So, it's not good. Just be mindful of that. Please. Hey, Fauna, that's some big yeah. yuck energy. <laughs> That's a B-Y-E if I've ever heard it. <laughs> um, let's get it trending. It's our new hashtag. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag bye. bye. <laughs> uh, so just be mindful of the words that you have, especially if you're going to enter in this conversation. And if you're talking to people who are not big fans or say like, oh, that cheetah looks so sad in their enclosure, 
have that conversation. Stop them and ask them why and, and, you know, acknowledge the feelings that they have, but try to help them understand that the experience that they're having is totally different from the animals and it's harmful to say any otherwise. Yes. All right. So, uh, we're going to get into the nitty gritty here. <laughs> I'm going to cut, I'm going to cut Flora loose on some, uh, I'm a fucking rage. <laughs> hot, hot topic so flora why don't you get into it okay we uh we had in our question specific specific things about blackfish so yeah go for it girl so we talked about this before in dolphin which is very early on um but one of the huge things that i think comes up anytime anybody mentions anything about animals in captivity blackfish gets brought up so people are always looking for ways to you know they know it was fucked up and they know it was fake but they don't know exactly why it was fucked up or why it was fake um if you Google it, there's literally, like, a minute-by-minute breakdown of why everything they said was fucked up and wrong. <laughs> but I will give you a short version. Um, just in general, the entire thing was just misleading, is basically what it is. Um, they were using audio that did not line up with video, and they were using different cuts and things just to make you believe things that weren't true. And it was super effective. I mean, it's a good documentary to watch because it's a good example of how to mislead people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so just in general, all of the people who they had um, as um, common commentators, commenters, what are they? <laughs> They're like interview people, all the people commenting. Yeah. Who worked at SeaWorld. Um, most of them had never worked at the SeaWorld in question. None of them had actually ever worked at Tilikum, who was the main whale that was under assault in this. Um, some of them hadn't worked at SeaWorld in over 20 years. And also most of them had never even worked with orcas. They had worked with other animals at SeaWorld. So already we're not dealing with anybody who is there for any of the instances that they're actually speaking about. They weren't even working at SeaWorld at the time that these instances took place. Um, and all of them are anti-captivity, clearly anti-captivity in their personal lives. Um, so they either are working for PETA or they're writing books about anti-captivity and stuff like that. So from the get-go, their only sources were people who were against this, which worked well for them. Um, mm-hmm. Um, one of the other just really big things, so just first off, all their fucking sources are garbage, right? They don't work there, they didn't work with orcas. Some of them got fired from SeaWorld for mis, um, like, misbehaving. One of the guys, like, stuck his face in an orca's mouth, and the, like, the, his boss was in the audience, and was like, oh, you're fired, because he was trying to, like, show off. Yeah, they're just garbage people. Um, so one of the other things that they try to make kind of prevalent is that people are, they were stealing orcas from the wild, Right. Well, mm-hmm. the last collection of wild whales was in 1979, and then it became illegal to capture um, marine mammals from the wild. So, literally, that doesn't happen. It's fucking illegal, and nobody's sad about it, because it doesn't need to happen. Um, they also talk a lot about starving the animal, starving Tilikum to make him do what he wants. That is misinformation. People only use positive reinforcement. Starvation doesn't get you anywhere. The thing weighs, like, 1,200 pounds. Like, nobody's starving him. He's... A massive beast. He's also dead now, mm-hmm. I think. Um, okay. Uh, they had an expert witness. He was an expert witness on wild uh, orcas. He had no expertise on captive whales, captive whale behavior, or anything related to training or enrichment or working with animals in captivity. Um, so he talks a lot about whales when he doesn't really know anything about working with them. 
Um, they say that no orcas have ever attacked a human in the wild. That is false. There's several occasions of orcas attacking humans. No deaths have occurred where orcas have attacked humans. They've tried to capsize boats, just like they do when, like, a walrus or a seal or something is on a, um, an ice float, and they will create waves to try to capsize and push the seal off. They do the same thing to boats. Um, they've bit one guy, I think, to get, like, 100 stitches or something. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> just, like, an excessive <laughs> amount of stitches. That's, like, a whole arm of stitches. <laughs> they say that the life expectancy of females is about 100, and males is 50 to 60. Um, that, <laughs> so dumb. Um, <laughs> that's, like, that's literally, like, saying our human life expectancy is about 100, because some of us live to 100. The average life expectancy of females is from 30 to 46. The average of males is 19 to 31. We're talking averages here, people. Not the most anyone's ever lived ever. Um, so that is just fucking a lie. Um, oh my god. They talk about raking, which is a dominance behavior that whales express to each other, where they kind of rake down their blubber with their teeth. Um, they said that Tilikum was all torn up when he first got there, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because those girls were like, you're a punk, boy, and they raked him. Um, raking, <laughs> they have like 9,000 pounds of blubber. It literally is just like if you got, if someone just like flicked you or something, like he didn't care. Um, and it stopped after like the first week after they said that um, he was garbage. Uh, nobody they ever- saw that his, They saw that his dick was big and they're like, well. <laughs> yeah. And then they bred <laughs> with him. So like they, they were DTF. Um, All's forgiven. <laughs> there was never open water work with Tilikum done. Um, in the show, they're always, like, talking about it, and then they splice in footage of other whales, so that never happened. Um, they talk about how this guy got injured, and then they have footage of the time that he fell on concrete and busted his face open. Um, <laughs> Ow. They have footage of a whale, like, coming onto the haul out and, like, interrupting the girl talking, but that was part of the show. It was a joke. Um... So just in general, everything that they did was meant to portray their agenda. Um, mm -hmm. When Dawn passed away, um, which all these people are commenting on, none of them were there for it. Um, they say, like, her arm got ripped off and something in the movie, and she was um, Tilikum, or was it Tilikum? I can't remember. But anyway, the whale uh, bit her ponytail and never ripped her arm off. She was a solid thing and she drowned um so after that incident obviously everyone was very torn up don's family was horrified um but they never spoke out against SeaWorld or whales or anything um but there was an osha hearing and there are over 71 hours of recorded testimony under oath by employees of SeaWorld at the time of don's death who were there they witnessed it um immediately after her passing of course there was Thousands of press conferences, thousands of interviews, um, and none of that footage is in this documentary. There are a few out-of-context statements taken, but none of the 71 hours of under oath in a court of law testimony is included in this documentary, which tells the truth of what actually happened. Um, yep. None of these people that they interviewed were there. So those are just some, like, quick facts. Basically, it was just all fucked up. I don't know what else to say about it. Um, yeah. She said her part. She doesn't work in a zoo. She doesn't know anything about fucking whales. She visited SeaWorld and was like, I'm going to make a documentary. And then she got all these, like, really pissed off people to say this ridiculous stuff um, because they're all, they're all PETA supporters and people who are anti-captivity. They weren't unbiased. There's nothing unbiased about any of this. 
Um, no. Which just makes it unfair. And of course, SeaWorld is not going to come back and, like, whine about it. They know they're in the right. They know it's bullshit. So they don't really need to worry about it. But, um, you know, I do think that they came out with, like, a new campaign and were just, like, teaching about how they love the animals and nobody blames them for any of this shit. And, oh my god, it's just, like, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, everything nuts. that SeaWorld has done since Blackfish has come out has been to increase their transparency. Right. So think about that. They were already extremely transparent with the practices that they're doing and the initiatives that they support and participate in. So them becoming even more transparent and think about the other side. What are they doing? Nothing. No. Nothing. What's been contributed to conservation? Nothing. Nothing. What sort of positive outcome has come from this? Nothing. Nothing. Like, all that's been done is to bash SeaWorld, which has gone above and beyond a hundred times over to try to bring people into the conversation, help people understand the context, be part of the conversation, and truly get an idea of what's going on. And even after all of that, people are like, no, I believe this movie I saw. Right. How does that make any sort of sense? Yeah. How does that make any sense? That doesn't make any sense to me. And like you said, this woman who made this movie, she didn't donate a freaking penny to conservation. No. What was her agenda? So. Yeah. It's literally just like, like... if she was truly in the business of saving these animals, then she probably would have donated to their care or to their conservation initiatives or right. to their research. She didn't do any of that. No. She's totally moved on. She, like, made a movie about... Um, oh, yeah. She made a movie about how, like, awesome this guy was in the military because he had a trained canine and, like, about the mm-hmm. trained canine. Which to me just feels really hypocritical that we can have animals living in our homes that we control every aspect of their lives and they're totally and taken from the wild and domesticated. But God forbid, there's a whale in a zoo. But anyway, yeah. Whatever. And I, I mean, at the meantime, like SeaWorld, on top of all of this, going out of their way to like bring people into the conversation is just getting shit on constantly. And what do they do? continue doing the amazing work that they're doing yeah saving and like who 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 do they call in florida when whales beach sea world sea world manatees sea world like they're saving thousands of animals and they don't care what you think and also their numbers fell for a little bit and then they pop back up because people just realized it was stupid but yeah i mean it it takes a really uh preliminary google Google search to kind of get to the bottom of the lies of blackfish right yeah. It was garbage. Thank you, Flora. That was excellent. Yeah, I tried not to get mad. It's just stupid. No, <laughs> it is stupid. I mean, I think we got heated in Before. Dolphin when <laughs> yeah. we did it. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, just, it's the same conversation over and Dope over. But. So, let's move this into, speaking of SeaWorld, how we as everyday people can make positive conservation impacts on every level, whether that be local, regional, or global. So... Obviously, SeaWorld, AZA zoos, um, non-AZA zoos who are amazing, zoos across the world that are doing amazing work are able to do this on a huge scale, right? Mm-hmm. They're able to donate tons of money. They're able to do contribute world-class contributions right. to research and whatever. So how do we everyday people do that? Well, every little bit adds up. And so it's important that everyone understand how to take care of our Earth. And our zoos are some of the best resources to understand exactly how to do that. Like I heard that from someone the other day. They were like, you know what? Zoos teach us how to take care of the planet. And I was like, you know what? You're totally right. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. But they do. Like none of us are born with the innate knowledge of how to take care of our planet. No. Where do we learn it? Through zoos. So 
What can you do to help? Like we've said before, uh, reduce, reuse, recycle, reduce your plastic consumption, reduce your your paper and 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 a harmful product and toxic chemical consumption. Reduce all of the things that can harm the planet. Yeah. Uh, whenever possible, reuse things, and whenever possible, recycle things. In that order, especially you want to limit limit single use plastics. Those are some of the biggest, most detrimental things, especially to our ocean creatures because it's destroying their home and they're eating it and they're dying so please stop that stop uh a lot of companies have started working on bans on plastic straws and plastic bags and stuff like that and that's all a step in the right direction Uh, but there's a lot more work that needs to be done so the more awareness that we bring to this sort of thing the greater the change and i mean the changes you've already seen have come from people bringing it up constantly so it's working good job everyone keep at it yeah uh a lot of other things you can do is to look for sunscreens that are coral reef friendly. A lot of the chemicals involved in sunscreen production can actually bleach coral reefs, which kills them. And they're already in trouble as is. So try to do a little bit of research into that avenue whenever you're going to the beach and fi- try to find a sunscreen that is coral reef friendly. Uh, conserving water uh, is also great. It helps out all animals in their natural habitats. As well as uh, cell phone recycling helps out a lot of animals in Africa and South America and in areas where coltan is mined. It allows us to make sure that this resource is used in a sustainable way and we're not contributing to deforestation and habitat loss through coltan mining. Uh, I think the major one for that one is gorillas. That's usually the poster child for cell phone recycling. But look it up if you're interested. Um, I'm sure a lot of us these days have heard of palm oil. It's a huge contributor to habitat loss and to the deaths of tons of animals, particularly orangutans, Sumatran tigers, animals in South America. Like uh, Palm oil is a huge global issue. And unfortunately, it's a huge prevalent part of our day-to-day lives. So take a look at the products that you're using. You might be surprised at how prevalent palm oil actually is within them. So take a look at those ingredients lists. And if possible, try to do some research. Try to find products that either don't use palm oil in them because a lot of stuff doesn't eat it. Um, you know, if you're eating peanut butter, for instance, all you need are peanuts and salt. And you grind it up and you got peanut butter. <laughs> um, but adding in palm oil just kind of helps preserve it. So just try to find alternatives that don't necessarily need it. Um, that's a good way to go. Or find companies that use sustainable palm oil. It's yeah. a sustainably harvested source that is orangutan friendly and other animal friendly. So there's a lot of good that you can do in that regard. And all it takes is just a little bit of research in the store. And in fact... The Cheyenne Mountain Zoo created a completely free smartphone app that you can download. Dope. It's the Cheyenne Zoo uh, Palm Oil app, I think, sustainable Palm Oil app. Anyway, it's free. You can find it on any smartphone, and it's a barcode scanner. So you scan the barcode of whatever item you're looking at in the store, and it lets you know whether or not it's orangutan friendly, and it gives you more information on it. So it's like super quick, super easy, really easy change to make in your day-to-day life. Nice. You can also look at limiting your detrimental environmental impact. So whether that be helping clean up beaches and campsites or monitor your waste disposal near water sources or making sure that you're recycling or carpooling or walking or biking to work or using public transit or um, cutting down on the number of straws or balloons that you use. Like things like that are all little things that you can do to help out wildlife oh and my to help God. spread the word. Yes. I just remembered – the biggest part of blackfish that's stupid. Oh, okay. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. Um, no, that's right. They're not a fish. They're like a marine <laughs> mammal. 
<laughs> You're so right. They are a marine mammal. Listen to dolphin, you guys. That was so They're marine mammals. I got so offended when I just remembered that. <laughs> you also shouted in my ear. <laughs> I, was I know. Like, oh, what is it? Well, I was just like, wow, she's really doing it. Like, I'm not going to interrupt her. Wait. I guess I am. I fucking am. Uh, so yeah. So actually, this is the perfect segue. Um, oh, good. Share information. <laughs> Sharing information, and in fact, factual information is one of the best things that you can do, especially if you're in a position where you don't buy the groceries or you aren't in charge of driving a vehicle or you don't make the money of the household, say you're like a younger individual or whatever. Sharing information that you get from credible sources is one of the best things that you can do because, again, we're not going to be able to make any changes if everyone's on a different page. We all have to be on the same page to move forward together. So that's the first step. And last but not least is getting involved, um, whether that be with different initiatives in your local region. There are tons of different ways to help out animals locally, regionally, and globally. So look into those types of things. A lot of them jump at the chance of having people volunteer. They love bringing volunteers in. It's a great way to help out your community. It's a great way to get involved, get a better understanding of what's going on. But it doesn't always have to be that you're donating time or money mm-hmm. or resources. It can be that you're donated your attention or you're donating your support. For example, if you are donating your attention at a free movie screening for a film, you know, like a, a factual nature documentary where the proceeds are going to conservation, then great. You are actually spending your time doing something great Dude. or you're dedicating your attention to doing a beach cleanup. Great. You're spending your time doing something great. Or say, for instance... A horrible documentary full of lies <laughs> comes out uh, and it's smearing the name of an amazing like zoo association known as SeaWorld. By showing your support for SeaWorld and like actively campaigning on their behalf and actively working to correct those falsehoods, you are helping. You are getting involved in that initiative and you are contributing to their conservation as a whole because you are helping correct misinformation and reduce the spread of misinformation. And that's awesome. That's awesome. You're awesome. Also, the Disney movie Penguins comes out in 2019, and it's a documentary, and it's going to be really good, so you should see that one. Disney sponsors. Disney. (laughs) We curse way too much for Disney. I just, like, screamed at all of Indiana. They will not sponsor us. That's true. Little did we know, Indiana is the home of Disney. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so that's actually it. We're going to do a quick TLDL because I know this is really long. Yes. Uh, part one of our f- season finale of season one went into the background of zoos, where they came from and where they are now, as well as how they function and the importance of understanding how they function. And we also went into the background of why animals live in zoos. So the function or the purpose that they serve in a bunch of different aspects, the main one being that they are ambassadors for their wild species and their wild cousins, and they also help to inspire guests that come through the door, which is uh, easier than it looks. <laughs> I'm sorry. Harder than it looks. <laughs> it's not easier than it looks. It's, in fact, Hard. 180 degrees the opposite. Uh, so we went into that to kind of give some context to the stuff that we were talking about. And then in part two – we really got down to the nitty-gritty. We talked about the good that zoos do. Uh, we also talked about how to recognize um, 
dad zoos. So places, unfortunately, that are part of this. Oh, my God. My cat is freaking out. That are part of this um, umbrella term of zoos. And so how to spot those things as well as how to actually find correct factual information. And talking about the power of words, like why it's important that we use the correct verbiage when we're talking about different scenarios, particularly when it pertains to animals and zoos, and particularly when it pertains to the intersection of fact with emotion, because we're all on the same page here as far as like our feelings towards animals, and we all want to get to the same page factually as well. So it's important to make sure that we're doing so in a non-blame gamey kind of way. Uh, And since our question asker asked specifically for some Uh, examples of rebuttals to blackfish some factual rebuttals to blackfish flora went off (laughs) on some of those and they were very helpful and we also talked about how to be a globally conscious consumer in our current age all the things that you can do yes so you putting your money and your time and your resources where your mouth is you're not just going to be one of those keyboard activists you're not just going to be someone that I don't know, tweets a video of Blackfish and Slam SeaWorld. You're going to be the one out there doing all the great work and helping everything out. Yeah. And when someone asks you, like, why you support zoos or tells you zoos are bad, flip the fucking script. Tell them Mm -hmm. what's the alternative. Come up with the alternative. What's going to help animals? What's going to help our earth? Are Mm -hmm. you? Have you done anything? The zoo has. What have you done? So put it on them. I mean, it's... It's stupid and I hate it. I have already created a fun and shareable <laughs> image in Microsoft Paint. Yay! Ah, <laughs> uh, you're such a hacker. <laughs> um, number one, Mitch Torbert. He's the real hacker. He's our. Uh, he made our logo, which I just love unconditionally. Yes. Thank um, you, Mitch. You're the best. Love you, Mitch. And so we're just gonna have something um, just fun and shareable that you guys can say. It just says, "Get a clue." Go support your local zoo. Facilities accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums donate an average $216 million annually to conservation projects across the globe. What do you do? So put that out there. Like, challenge them. Challenge your friends. When they shit on you for going to the zoo or whatever, what do they support? Who are they helping? Because you, just by visiting a zoo, you have already done your part, let alone all the yep. stuff that you learned and you passed on to other people. Just by buying a ticket, you supported the zoo, you supported conservation. And that's kick-ass. Yep. Yeah. You had a direct impact on our global society. Good for you. We're proud of you. I love you. Unconditionally. And thank you. I love you. I love I love you more, and I said it first, and I meant it more than you did ever, so just. Do you want to go get milkshakes? I I love you more than Flora does. (laughs) I want a milkshake. God damn you. You're not invited on our milkshake date. Anyways, (laughs) uh, thank you, everyone, for all of your support for season one of Keeper Chat. We had such a blast doing this. Um, I don't think Flora or I ever dreamed it would get as big as it was. Um, so thank you everyone yeah. for sharing it and leaving reviews and please continue to do so if it's something that you enjoy listening to. Um, again, another shout out to Mitch Torbert for creating our logo. You're the best. We love you so much. Love um, shout out to you, Flora. Aww. You did a great job. Flora does all of our editing. So if there's ever <laughs> music missing from the beginning, it's her. Hey, shut the fuck up. <laughs> God damn you. Called out. Uh, uh, why don't you, you talk really a little good bit? Fauna too. 
you were oh, good. Oh, thank you. I was fishing for, I was black fishing for <laughs> Uh Do you want to talk about our Patreon real quick? Always. Um, we have a Patreon now because we love you and we want you to love us. Um, you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Keeper Chat and it will take you there. It will tell you what's what. Um, basically, if you guys want to offer some patronage and you want to donate to us, um, we will give you some bonus stuff. That money is going to go towards paying for the podcast because it does cost $15 a month <laughs> to mm-hmm. put it on the internet. And then, um, no, it's I'm mostly going back to you. I'll just eat those $15 every day. I don't care. Um, we're going to buy you guys cool stuff and do awesome giveaways and donate to conservation and just like do amazing shit with that money that's, yeah. Just hell yeah, we're just gonna kick it and keep it cool. We're gonna buy those milkshakes. You and I, we're gonna spend all that money on milkshakes, and Fonda's not invited. <gasps> no, I want some. <laughs> you know, I tried to order a damn hot fudge sundae from McDonald's tonight. <laughs> you know what they told me? The ice cream machine was down. It broke. It always broke. So, oh, man, I need a milkshake. <laughs> I know, we need a boozy milkshake. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. Alright, um, we have big plans for the drop of season two, dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, our Patreon patrons have, they're picking what we're gonna do, and we've got crazy stuff. We're gonna drop that, we're gonna drop cool shit, we might have a and I don't know, we got questions in our backlog. We're gonna do bonus episodes about extinct animals. Hold on to your butts, it's about to get crazy. Hold on to your butt. This episode is so long. We have to go. Okay, bye. It's so long. No one's even Thank you guys so anymore. much. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week and for this season. We love you guys so much. You've been amazing. As always, we hope you learned some cool stuff and had a great time hanging out. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to check out our Instagram where we post fun pictures, facts, links, everything. You know the drill. Uh, we're also on every podcasting platform so go and find us there share us with your friends and family rate leave a review whatever the hell you want to do that's the end of this episode that's the end of this season Ah! next week flora and i are departing on new territory we're so excited to take you along with us we're so excited to have our patrons helping us shape this new territory so look forward to that and we look forward to seeing you then as always if you like this great if you didn't i don't care I don't fucking care. I just don't care. Bye. I'll smell you later. Bye.